This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today's topic is Do I really need life insurance? With me today, I have financial advisor Byron Palsma. Morning, Byron. Good morning, Mary. So this topic is kind of an interesting topic because people ask this question all the time. Life insurance is something that is kind of a necessary evil for a lot of people. They don't usually think, oh, yay, I'm going to go get some life insurance. Right. It's not a, <laughs> not a real comfortable topic. It isn't, right, because ultimately it protects against death, and that is not a comfortable topic. That's right. So when, when you think about life insurance, there's really a number of different things that go into a decision about whether you need it. And I guess I want to be the first to say that I definitely think that not everybody does need it. It's not a one-size-fits-all type of, of insurance. Right. I, my son, who's just starting his career, he's single. We talked about it the other day. Does he need life insurance? And we, prob- we came up with no, probably not mm-hmm. at this time. It is in his life. There will be a time, probably, but not right now. Yep, yep, exactly. And that's a perfect example of someone who might not really need it. So I guess the first thing that I want to say about the need for life insurance is just giving everybody a general understanding that there's really three stages of life that life insurance connects into. And I want to talk a little bit about the need with each one of those things. So the first stage is when you're younger and when you're married and have small children. So that's kind of stage one. So life insurance in that stage is all about protecting widows and children. Right. You know, and when you think about protecting widows and children, Byron, what are the main things that life insurance is there to protect for them? Well, probably the, the two main things, Mary, would be the loss of income. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes people will not really compute that and realize this could be something that's going to be a loss for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So so that's something that needs to be addressed. And the second one would be uh, debts that folks may have. For instance, maybe you finally gotten into that dream house, you yep. got the big mortgage, but it's <laughs> worth it, you know. Yep. And then all of a sudden something happens. And then mm-hmm. that, that mortgage is going to be a, a real... Uh, hindrance to the financial situation that's left. And really, it's a one-two punch, right? Because you have this big mortgage and the debt and the payment. So you lose an income stream that was helping pay the payment. And now you still have the debt and can't afford to make the payment. So the, there is one other thing that in, in I would say, the last 15 or 20 years has kind of risen to the top two in terms of widows and children is that people will think about college planning for those kiddos if something happens to one of the parents. So right. setting aside enough money so that there's a lump sum of value there to send your kids to college if they do want to pursue an education. Right. Putting money away for kids' college, uh, college education may have been part of the budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And without maybe that uh, one of the two incomes, that's going to be a problem. And another thing, too, along that line is maybe your children are going to, to private school and, and you may have some you know, religious purposes mm-hmm. for that or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now maybe that's not going to be part of the budget either. It's not going to work into the budget yep. because you haven't, uh, al- you know, pre- excuse me, uh, gotten ready for that. So when you think about life insurance in in this stage and you're thinking about protecting those loved ones, 
understanding what your debt levels are and understanding what the impact your family will be if they would lose your income. And and then would that put a hardship on your surviving spouse to be able to save for college? Those are all the things that you have to think about when you are considering life insurance planning at that stage. So there's no right answer, but there is kind of a rule of thumb in terms of how much life insurance somebody should have in that stage. So there's a rule of thumb that says seven to 10 times your income. And that rule of thumb is fairly often followed if you're just trying to protect the income side of things. That gives your spouse basically seven to 10 years worth of time to adjust financially to the new normal. Right. Now, it depends on what age your children are, (laughs) whether that gets the kids out of the house or not. (laughs) But it does give somebody kind of an adjustment period financially. Right. Then we add to that the amount of your mortgage so that you could pay off the debt of the mortgage so that your family can continue to stay in the house and not have to worry about that mortgage payment. Right. And then if you want to provide money for college, you would add to that too. Right. So let's say that you were a person who was making $100,000 a year and you have a mortgage of $300,000 and you have two kids. Okay, so seven to 10 times your income, that's 700 to a million dollars for the income side of things. So let's just say the million on the high side, add the $300,000 for the house, and then add, let's say, a couple hundred thousand dollars of value for the college pool of money that you're developing. So about a million and a half dollars in that situation would be a reasonable amount of life insurance to have. Right. And, and people should not be afraid of the dollars, if you want to say that, because mm-hmm. sometimes those dollars do add up pretty quickly, yep. obviously. <laughs> and another factor to you to consider is inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are going to cost more in 10 years or yep. 20 years. So it's it's better to be, you know, have a good, uh, good I won't say windfall, but a good cushion to work with. I don't think anybody has ever said, gosh, I wish my spouse would have had less life insurance. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. So that's kind of phase one. Now, phase two is when you get into kind of your middle years. Let's say you're somewhere maybe between 50 and 65 or between 50-ish in retirement. And during this phase, um, most of the time, people have built up some retirement assets. They've probably reduced their debt levels and their kids are either gone and out of the house or very close to it. Or they're at least maybe off your payroll. <laughs> right. Well, you, you hope that they are. That's right. I'm still waiting for that day. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so anyway, in this stage of life, um, what life insurance is about is still protecting that spouse against the loss of income, but it's also looking at whether or not if you were to pass away, would your spouse be able to still have a comfortable retirement? Right. You know, when a spouse passes away, you lose one of the Social Security checks. If you're the one that had a pension, you might lose the pension. Kind of depends on how the pension is set up. But also what's happening is that that your family unit is losing the retirement savings power that comes from you continuing to stay employed until you are retired. Right. So there's a lot of different financial impacts that come with it at that point. Another thing to consider, Mary, is taxes. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're married, you may be filing uh, jointly, Mm -hmm. and that's going to be at a lower rate than if you have to file 
as a single individual. So that's another thing to think about, too. Exactly. So in this second stage, life insurance is really about protecting your surviving spouse to give them protection against the loss of your income, but also so that they can have a comfortable retirement still as well. Right. Now, rule of thumb with that is going to be based more off of what your income is at the time, as well as how much retirement savings have you already accumulated and what is that look going to look like in terms of taking care of your spouse. Right. That's not as easy of a rule of thumb to calculate just in quick and dirty math because we really have to do some forecasting to say what will your accumulated assets provide and then what's the gap that's left that insurance needs to provide. So that takes a little bit more work. <laughs> but it's something that if you have questions about, you just can pick up your phone and call Byron and he'll he'll help you with that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's a good point, too, that sometimes people get, shall we say, almost uh, paralyzed or frozen by how much insurance should I get. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is no perfect number for anyone. Uh, it's all estimation and, and doing some forecasting, as you mentioned, So I think people shouldn't get hung up with, I'm not going to get the right amount, so why bother kind of a thing. (laughs) That that would be the wrong thing to do. Yeah, and I think life insurance numbers are incredibly customized for your own particular situation. I mean, nobody has the exact same situation that you do. Everybody's a little bit different. Everybody's financial picture is unique, and so your life insurance should be unique too. So what I don't like is when I see people come in and they say, well, I have $700,000 of insurance, or I have $1.5 million of insurance, and if I say why... Do you have that amount? If they can't articulate why they have that amount, well, I, I guess that I just thought it sounded good or my insurance person said this would be a good amount. Like there's, there needs to be meat to it to make it meet a meaningful amount in your situation. Yes. So, okay. So we've covered the first scenario, the first stage of life insurance need. We've That's the protecting widows and young children. We've talked about that second stage, which is protecting a surviving spouse so that they can still have a comfortable retirement. And the third stage is when you get into the older years of your life and you're no longer worried about widows and children and you're no longer worried about comfortable retirement, it becomes about leaving a legacy. And that's what the third stage of retirement or life insurance is about. Leaving a legacy, it might be leaving a financial legacy to family or friends or people you love, or it might mean leaving a legacy to charity or some combination of both of those things. But life insurance is a beautiful way to leave a financial impact once you're no longer with us. Right. And one of the things to think about, too, is life insurance proceeds generally would not be taxable Mm -hmm. for people to leave as compared to there are going to be tax implications with retirement accounts. So that's another thing to think about, too, when you're passing something on to your, say, your children. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Let's say somebody had a million-dollar retirement portfolio and a million dollars of life insurance. Byron, which million dollars would you rather inherit? I think I'd probably go with the life insurance option, Mary. (laughs) And that's because there wouldn't be any income taxes on it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the retirement portfolio would definitely have income taxes on it, therefore reducing its value. So for those of you out there listening who are thinking about incorporating a charitable component to your legacy planning, think about in that scenario 
doing something like this. You could consider leaving the retirement assets to the charity and the life insurance to your family. And the reason for that is if your children inherit their retirement accounts, they're going to pay taxes on it before they can liquidate it. But if a charity inherits retirement accounts, they're a non-taxable entity, and so they can cash it out and avoid the taxes. So if you do it that way, your family gets the life insurance tax-free and the charity gets the retirement money tax-free. And to me, that's a really, really good way to stretch the value of the giving that you're doing. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about, do I really need life insurance? So we've covered the three stages of life insurance. Stage one is when you're younger to protect widows and children. The second is when you're middle-aged to protect a spouse to make sure they still can have a comfortable retirement. And the third stage is in your later years when it becomes about leaving a financial legacy for family or for charity. So now I want to talk a little bit about the three main types of life insurance that are out there. And those three types are term life, universal life, and whole life. So let's go after term life first, because I think that a lot of people probably have heard the um, phrase buy term and invest the difference. Right. So Byron, explain just a little bit about what term insurance is. Well, term insurance is, it means a a period of time, a term term. of time Mm -hmm. in which you have the insurance coverage. And that could vary, say, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever Mm -hmm. you might be looking at. And basically, you're going to have coverage if you pass away while that policy is still in effect. Normally, the premiums will be lower. Mm -hmm. And if you buy term when you're a younger person, uh, you're going to be looking at probably some less expensive insurance coverage than maybe some other types are. Absolutely. And one of the nice things about term is that the price stays flat the entire time you have it. It doesn't normally increase. That's right. So whatever you buy it with at the beginning of your 30-year term, it's still the same in year 30. However, in year 31, not so. (laughs) Right. When you get to year 31, when your term is up, then the price is going to literally skyrocket. So people only keep term insurance beyond the term generally if they're fatally ill and they know that they're not going to live much longer. But it does have a very good use for especially young families Mm -hmm. when they need the most insurance protection and they're getting it at, say, when, when mom and dad are in their 20s or 30s then they can get a lot of protection for maybe not a lot of money. Exactly, exactly. So it is the cheapest way to get insurance coverage in place. And it is the same coverage when you die as any other type of policy. I mean, if you die, it pays out the amount that you're covered for, just like any other policy does. Right. So it is the most inexpensive solution to get started. And you have to think about it like this, though. Term insurance is like renting an apartment, When you're done with your apartment lease, you leave the apartment and you have built no equity in it. You're just done with that. That's the same way with term. You don't build any equity in it. You don't build any cash value in it or anything like that. It's just like you rented your life insurance policy, basically. Right. Right. And sometimes we hear, Mary, from folks that say, well, why have insurance through work? And and normally it is term insurance Mm -hmm. also. But that works the same way to the extent that if they do leave that employer, 
then that insurance that goes away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be you know cognizant of as you're thinking about your insurance coverages. Now, when the term insurance might not be the best option for you, it might be because universal life or whole life is the best option for you. Now, whole life and universal life are what we would consider to be permanent type of coverage versus just a term that only covers a certain number of years. And by permanent, we mean it's it's designed to last as long as you do. Right. <laughs> Pretty much as long as you pay the premiums or you've put in sufficient premiums for it. Exactly. So whole life was kind of one of the first life insurances that was created. And basically what you're doing in whole life is you have a cash value that's building and the whole life formulas are designed that basically over time your cash value is going to get big enough to equal what your death benefit is. Right. And usually that cash value is is built by a a specified insurance percentage, Mm -hmm. excuse me, interest rate, I mean. But uh, that can vary with time also. But the insurance company will declare an interest rate at least for this year or something like that. And then it'll grow by that amount. Some whole life policies also pay dividends that can help build that cash value and things like that. So somebody might choose whole life over term life if they want the policy to last beyond just a certain number of years. Or also because most term life carriers won't issue a policy beyond a certain age. Right. Like usually beyond age 60, it's difficult to find a term life company to work with. Right. And there are some term policies that are convertible also, meaning that uh, you can actually convert it to permanent insurance and the strategy people will follow will do that toward the end of the term and then maybe convert it to, uh, to a permanent coverage of some kind. Yeah. And so here's the thing is that the when we say that term life, it was like renting an apartment. Whole life is more like buying a house. You're building equity in it. So if you decide to sell your house, you've got equity you can take with you. Same with a whole life policy. If you decide to terminate your whole life policy before you die, chances are there's likely to be some cash value that would come back to you from that. Right. And another thing, too, with the cash value is you, without having to terminate that policy, you can maybe borrow against that cash mm-hmm. value or maybe even take a withdrawal for the ca- from the cash value. Uh, but you don't get to have the cake and eat it, too, because that does reduce the death benefit if, for instance, you do take a withdrawal. Yeah. Now, here's the thing about whole life is that it's fairly inflexible. So many whole life policies don't allow you to just stop paying the premium. If you're no longer going to pay the premium, then they'll either just reduce the policy and call it paid up or you'll just need to cancel the policy. Right. Um, and that is where universal life was created then. Universal life was built after whole life, and it was built for people to have flexibility with those premiums. So the biggest difference between universal life and whole life is that universal life, generally speaking, will let the cash value in a policy cover your premiums if you don't make the premium payments. Right. So other than that, they work in a fairly similar way. They build the cash value and the equity, and they're designed to last your whole life. Yes. And the insurance company will compute for you, Mary, the uh, suggested premium amount. Mm -hmm. You can do more than that. There are some limits to how much you can put into it. uh, And that has to do with the tax consequences that are involved with it. But uh, basically, you do have that flexibility, and some people will will front load those, and uh, and then so they don't owe any premiums then later on in life. Yeah. So when it comes to selecting the type of insurance that's right for you, 
to some degree, it's going to come down to what your budget is, but also to whether or not you're trying to use it for a permanent vehicle versus just a term need. Maybe you only have a need for so long. For right. instance, if you have a 30-year mortgage, then having a 30-year term might make sense. Right. Um, and then also whether or not you're trying to build equity in it to use as some type of investment vehicle as well. Yes. And some people will have that as part of their retirement planning mm-hmm. to be able to use that cash value from permanent life insurance. There's also a concept out there that's called basically the be your own bank kind of uh, life insurance concept where certain whole life policies have really favorable loan provisions where you can build up a tremendous amount of cash inside them and then loan the money out to yourself or to other people and you're still getting some earnings on that phantom cash inside the policy and you're using the money outside the policy. Right. And so those kind of policies, they, they have to be built in a specific way. They have to be structured in a specific way. But for people who have um, filled up the traditional savings vehicles and are looking for unique tax-preferred ways to save, then a be-your-own-bank kind of life insurance strategy can also be something to consider. Okay, well, we've spent a little bit of time talking about whether or not you really need life insurance. And again, it really does come down to the personal decision about what it is you're trying to cover. But I do want to just say that September is Life Insurance Awareness Month. And so if you haven't paid attention to what coverage you need, if you have somebody you love that you know might needing to think about this and you know that they haven't. So I guess you grandparents listening out there, I'm thinking about your adult children who have children of their own. (laughs) If you're thinking about those kind of things and use this as a nudge to help them understand why it's important to get it, what types are out there available and what they need to be thinking about in their own decision of do they really need life insurance? So thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. Views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.